If you have ever thought about starting your own podcast, you should check out Riverside. Riverside is an online recording studio that lets you record podcasts and video in studio quality from anywhere. And if you click on the affiliated link in the episode description and you buy a subscription, you will also be supporting the podcast. And if you're going to start your own podcast or you just want to continue to listen to great podcasts, you need headphones or speakers. If you click on the Amazon affiliated link, you can get great deals on headphones and speakers. And if you make a purchase, it will also help support the podcast. Both links will be in the episode description if you are interested. This is just a reminder that this podcast has merch and a Patreon. And if you could contribute to one of those to help keep this podcast going, I would greatly appreciate it. Many pirates have left behind a legend attached to their name. Many pirates became a legend even before their death. They acquired a reputation that preceded them, and it struck fear in the hearts of many sailors. A lot of these pirates didn't mind the spread of their bad reputation and the rumors of their sinister deeds. It helped advance their career as a pirate if people were afraid of them. But... The pirate I am going to tell you about today did just about everything he could to not be referred to as a pirate. Ahoy, my name is Courtney Jewell, and you are listening to the fifth episode of the third season of History Shelf, a podcast about history that proves that sometimes fact is even more interesting than fiction. Tis season three, O History Shelf, and I have titled this season, Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me. In this season, be all about pirates. The pirates and scallywags that sailed the seven seas, and some rivers, looking for booty as they made their travels. Some of these pirates came from humble beginnings, while others surprisingly came from well-to-do families. But no matter where or who they came from, they all had one thing in common. They would be pirates. And for this week, I am talking about Captain William Kidd. William was born in Dundee, Scotland. There have been claims that he was born elsewhere in Scotland, including Greenock and Belfast, but William himself said that he was born in Dundee and you know what, I'm just going to trust that he knew where he was from. Plus, there are baptismal records that also support Dundee as being his place of birth, and the city has a record of his mother getting a sailor's pension after William's father passed away when William was five years old. William was born prior to 1654, sometime around the year 1645. His father was a seaman named John Kidd, and his mother was named Bessie Butchart. A lot about his early life is shrouded in mystery. We know that he came from a poor family. It is possible that because his family was poor, he went to sea at an early age. And 
that is all that is known about William's formative years. William's whole 20s is just a blank space. There's nothing more known about him until he is in his 30s. He was a pirate during what is known as the Golden Age of Piracy. The Golden Age of Piracy started in the 1650s and lasted until the 1730s. The Golden Age of Piracy happened because European powers were colonizing new lands and opening international trade routes. But William didn't start out as a pirate, so let's get back to his story. In his early 30s, he sailed to an island named Alavache. It was there that he would meet Robert Culliford. Robert would become William's companion. Both William and Robert became friends while looking for work. The work they found was on the Saint Rose. It was a French privateer. The Saint Rose's captain was Jean Fontaine. I'm going to pause the story here to go over the difference between a pirate and a privateer. I have already covered this in the Jean de Clisson episode, but that was the first episode of this season. So that was five weeks ago if you are listening to this episode the day that it comes out. And you may not have even listened to that episode, and so I think a little refresher might be a good thing. So, I'm sure that you know what a pirate is. I don't think I need to explain that. A privateer is a pirate. They are a pirate that is committing legal acts of piracy. They had a commission from a government to commit acts of piracy. The privateers could only attack approved targets, and they had to share their treasures with the government that they were working for. Now, just because these privateers had the okay to commit piracy doesn't mean that they didn't have victims. They were still stealing and murdering, and I'm sure if you asked their victims, they didn't care that they had a permission slip to attack them. So... Now let's get back to William. So, William sailed along as a privateer looking for Dutch merchants. The ship he was on ran into a French fleet. It was led by Admiral Jean-Baptiste de Casse. William's ship joined them because they were also looking for the Dutch. Together they sailed to Suriname at the time it was called... Dutch Guiana. On their way there, they happened to come across a vessel that had a cargo that would cause envy in any pirate or a privateer. But the ship was Spanish. They only had permission to attack Dutch ships, so the French had to find a way to attack the Spanish without getting into trouble. Jean-Baptiste's commission stopped him from attacking the Spanish. Jean Fontaine had no such commission. So only the Saint Rose would make the capture. The French fleet would just hang around with their cannons pointed at the Spanish ship. And the booty from the Spanish ship just happened to end up on the French fleet. The crew of the Saint Rose then decided to ditch the Saint Rose and 
they boarded the Spanish vessel. It was better and faster. Then they sailed on to Dutch Guiana. When they got there, they were greeted with seven Dutch warships. The French fleet got their ass kicked and they turned back around. Then in July of 1688, England declared war on France. This is known as the Nine Years War. This is a different Nine Years War than the Nine Years War that I referred to in the Queen Elizabeth I and Grace O'Malley episodes of History Shelf. That Nine Years War was in between England and Ireland, and this Nine Years War is in between England and France. And it takes place decades after the Nine Years War between England and Ireland. So Jean-Baptiste decides that he is going to attack the island of St. Christopher, which is now known as St. Kitts on land in the summer of 1689. John Fantine decides that he is going to join him in attacking St. Christopher. A few men stayed behind on the ship. On the ship was William, Robert, some other Englishmen, and some French sailors. When the land troops were gone, William gave the signal to strike. The English killed the French sailors and then they tossed their bodies into the ocean. They then sailed off with the ship to Nevis, a small island in the Caribbean. There, the ship was renamed the Blessed William. There, William met with the governor of Nevis, Governor Christopher Codrington, and either the governor made him captain or the crew elected him captain. Either way, William was now Captain Kidd. The Blessed William joined a small fleet commanded by Governor Christopher Codrington. In the Christmas of 1689, William and his men attacked the French island of Marie Galante. They looted the area and they destroyed the island's only town. They gathered around 2,000 pounds sterling. In 1690, William ran into Jean-Baptiste again and he paired up with him and his crew to help rescue some English troops who had been taken prisoner. This made William a hero in the eyes of England. To the English, he was a hero, but this was not what his men were looking for. Yes, there was money and being a privateer, but that was nothing compared to the booty that could be had with being a pirate. William's men didn't want to share their loot with a government. So they told William they wanted to be pirates. William was having none of it. He wasn't a criminal. So he told his men no. They responded with a mutiny. Robert, his once friend, had betrayed him. He was the one that had convinced William's men to mutiny. All the loot from Marie Galalente was on the Blessed William. The ship that Robert had sailed away with in the middle of the night. William had nothing. Lucky for William, Governor Christopher Codrington liked him. He hired William to command one of his privateers in the war with France. After one year, William was given his own ship. It was a 16-gun sloop. It had once belonged to the French. It was renamed the Antigua. William got word that the Blessed William had been seen in New York. William took to the sea, and he sailed towards revenge.
I can only imagine the disappointment and anger coursing through William's body, as he learned when he got to New York that the blessed William had been there, but that was months ago. But he was able to put that anger and disappointment away because he found something else to take up his time. It was the Leisler's Rebellion. The Leisler's Rebellion started on May 31st, 1689, and it lasted until March 21st, 1691. Here is how the Leisler's Rebellion began. King James II of England was Catholic. He was also King James VII of Scotland. James's son-in-law, William of Orange, was married to James's daughter, Mary. William of Orange was a Protestant. William of Orange took the throne from James, so James's Catholic son would not inherit the throne. Jacob Leisler was a wealthy Protestant merchant and militia captain that was living in New York at the time that William of Orange took the throne. When news got to Jacob about what had happened to King James II, Jacob took part of the colony by force, and Jacob declared himself governor. He thought that he would get the full support of the new king. You know, Protestant bros gotta stick together and all that. But William of Orange, now King William III, actually didn't support Jacob. Instead, he called him a usurper, which is just calling the kettle black, but whatever. King William III ordered for the arrest and execution of Jacob. When William Kidd arrived in New York, he caught the tail end of the rebellion. The new governor, the real new governor, Governor Henry Flouter and his troops arrived to New York on March 19th, 1691, the same time that William Kidd did. Jacob had barricaded himself inside Fort James. Henry asked William if he didn't care to use his cannons to help persuade Jacob to surrender, and Jacob did surrender peacefully. William was a hero once again. Soon he was rubbing elbows with New York's upper class. He was welcomed into rooms that before he could only dream about sneaking into. In one of those rooms was a woman named Sarah Bradley Cox Ort. Sarah was a wealthy woman that was in her early 20s, and she had already been widowed twice. After meeting William, Sarah quickly added the name Kid on to her list of names. On May 16, 1691, William and Sarah were married. Their marriage caused quite the scandal because Sarah applied for a license to marry William only two days after her second husband, John Ort, had died. This caused the rumor mill to go abuzz with talk that John had been murdered, but nothing more than talk was ever produced. The reason for their marriage was that they were both madly in love with each other. After they were married, William worked as a merchant sea captain, and he would take on privateering jobs when he needed. The New York governor had given William a commission to attack French ships that got too close to their shores, and 
Later on, the Massachusetts governor also gave him a similar commission. While his marriage to Sarah was a love match, it did help him out financially. After marrying Sarah, William became one of the richest men in all of New York. Together, William and Sarah had two daughters, one named Elizabeth and one named Sarah. And that was William's life until 1695. In 1695, William sailed to London, England, looking for a captain's post with the Royal Navy. This was a bold move. The Royal Navy had a strict promotion system. You couldn't just go to the Royal Navy and ask nicely to be a captain and they would just agree. Especially if you were a Scottish man that was born into a poor family that had no connections. And William had never served on a Royal Navy ship. William, of course, did not become a captain of the Royal Navy. He wasn't even able to secure a meeting with the right people to even ask to be a captain. But even if he had, the answer that he would have heard most certainly would have been no. But... His trip to London wasn't all for nothing. There in London, he ran into Robert Livingston and Richard Coote, the first Earl of Bellamont. Richard was a member of Parliament who was the new governor of New York and Massachusetts. Together, William, Robert, and Richard found a group of investors that wanted to attack France and hunt down pirates in the Indian Ocean. The plan was for them to keep what they confiscated from the pirates, and King William III would get 10%. They used the money from the investors to build an extremely powerful ship. It was a three-mast, 32-cannon, and 287-ton warship that was named the Adventure Galley. William was sure that this adventure was going to have him and his investors rolling in the dough. William signed a performance bond for £20,000, guaranteeing that sum to the investors. That meant that if he didn't deliver the money, he was liable. That meant that he would have lost everything. He could have even ended up in debtor's prison. In April of 1696, William took to the sea. He was ready to drown himself in riches, but he hit a little bump. The Adventure Galley didn't follow proper Royal Navy etiquette of dipping the flag or pulling the canvas out of respect when passing a superior. The Adventure Galley had passed the HMS Duchess. Its captain was Captain Stewart. The captain ordered the Duchess to fire a shot across the bow of the Adventure Galley. Then he went aboard the ship and told William that he would be taking 30 of his most experienced sailors into service. Captain Stewart could do this as a Royal Navy captain. William appealed to the Lord Admiral, and the Lord Admiral ordered that Captain Stewart return all 30 men to the Adventure Galley. Captain Stewart returned 30 men to William, but they weren't the ones that he took. What he gave William was his 30 laziest and most troublesome men. I have personally found that 
just when you think things can't get any worse, they do. And things were about to get even worse for Captain William Kidd. William sailed to Madagascar because there was a pirate den there. Or at least, there was a pirate den there. When William arrived in Madagascar, he found out that there were no more pirates there. So, there were no pirates to hunt. William's men were starting to come down with scurvy, and the adventure galley wasn't in the best of shape either. So he docked so his men could get rest and his ship could get some much-needed TLC. He then sailed to the Camaro Islands. It was a stop-off point for the East India Trading Company. There he came across a storm that damaged the adventure galley even more. Then he had to deal with a cholera outbreak that claimed the life of 40 of his men within just one week. The other men were getting restless from having a lack of booty, and some men chose to leave William's crew. Then he heard rumors that he had turned pirate. To William, there was no other worse rumor. To add insult to injury, the threat of mutiny lurked again. In 1697, William sailed in and around the Indian Ocean due to the Royal Navy taking some of William's men, disease, and men just leaving his crew, William needed to find more men. He was forced to find men with less than stellar reputations. The Adventure Galley had found a few targets on its travels, but it wasn't enough to keep William's crew satisfied. William's men wanted to attack any ship, no matter whether it was a legal target or not, but William was in charge and he refused to allow this. There was one ship that his men wanted to attack, but it was a Dutch ship, so William told his men no. This angered the ship's gunner, a man named William Moore, so much that he and Captain William Kidd began shouting at each other. William Kidd called William Moore a lousy dog, to which William Moore replied, quote, If I am a lousy dog, you have made me so. You have brought me to ruin and many more. End quote. Captain William Kidd got so wrapped up and carried away that he threw a bucket at William Moore's head. The bucket fractured William Moore's skull, and he died the next day on October 31st, 1697. Captains were legally allowed to use violence towards their men, but they were not allowed to kill them. But William Kidd was not worried about the consequences of his actions. He told the ship's sergeant that he had, quote, good friends in England that will bring me off for that. End quote. But no matter how much he didn't want to be a pirate, William wasn't stupid. He knew that over two-thirds of his men wanted to be pirates. He knew that he was at risk of mutiny, or even worse. So Captain William Kidd did what he never wanted to do. He became a pirate. The ship William picked was a massive target. It was a 500-ton Armenian ship sailing along the Indian Ocean called the Quadar Merchant. On January 30, 1698, the ship crossed paths with William. On the ship was gold, silver, silk, satin, spices, and other valuable things. It was a pirate's dream. 
The ship was sailing with a French pass. It was given to them by the French East India Company, and William knew this. So William raised the French flag. William was able to board the ship without blood being shed. William kept the ship and renamed it the Adventure Prize. William was hoping that England would consider the ship a valid target because it was under French authority. It wasn't like they hadn't given privateers a pass here and there before, but little did William know that the attitude towards piracy had changed in England. England was not happy when word got back to them that William had turned pirate. On April 1st, 1698, William went back to Madagascar. There he met with a trader named Tempest Rogers. Tempest would later be accused of trading and selling the goods William stole from the Quaidart merchant. While he was there, William ran into Robert Culliford. This was William's friend turned enemy, the one that had taken his ship, the Blessed William. There are two stories about what happened next. Story one, they had a peaceful exchange. William drank to Robert's health and he called him a brother. He even gave him a gift of an anchor and some guns. Story two, William saw that Robert had a crew of only 20 men. William felt that it would be ill-mannered and he felt ill-equipped to take Robert's ship, the Mocha Frigate. By now, William had 115 men and three ships the Adventure Galley, the Adventure Prize, and the November. So William waited for his men to reach the port. When they got there, William ordered for his men to attack Robert, but they refused. It should be said that the only time this story has ever been published was in Richard Zack's The Pirate Hunter, The True Story of Captain Kidd, and he does not refer to any source. But both accounts say that most of William's crew left him to join Robert's crew. William was now left with just 15 men. William decided that it was time to go home. William had his crew burn the Adventure Galley and they all left on the Adventure Prize. The 1698 Act of Grace offered pardons to pirates. It offered pardons to all pirates, but Henry Every and William Kidd. William got word that he was a wanted pirate and that he could not use the pardon. William had pirate hunters coming for him. In April of 1699, William arrived in the West Indies. He ditched the Adventure Prize there and he got a passage to New York. He buried booty on Gardner's Island and Block Island. The New England governor, Richard Coote, had William arrested on July 7, 1699. Richard was afraid that he would be implicated in piracy since he was one of William's investors. So he lured William into a trap. He promised William clemency. He was arrested and placed in stone prison. There, William spent time in solitary confinement. Sarah, his wife, was also arrested and imprisoned, but she would be released. The conditions of his imprisonment were harsh, and it is said that William was driven temporarily insane. In February of 1700, William was sent to England aboard the Advice. 
He was charged with five counts of piracy, and to his surprise, he was also charged with the murder of William Moore. So I guess his good friends in England weren't so good after all. During his trial that began on May 8th, 1701, William refused to name his investors in his maritime adventures. He was hoping that they would reward him for his loyalty. He was severely disappointed. They used William as a scapegoat. There was speculation that he actually would have been spared had he talked. William was found guilty and sentenced to death and hanged on May 23, 1701 in Wapping, London, England. It took two tries to kill William. The first attempt ended with the rope breaking, but William survived. Some in the crowd saw this as a sign that God didn't want William to die and they called for him to be released. But a few minutes later, they tried again and this time it was successful. His body was hung in a cage and left along the River Thames. It was a warning sign for all that thought about becoming a pirate, and it was left there for three years. For a long time, no one knew what had happened to his ship, the Adventure Prize. But on December 13, 2007, the wreckage was found near the Dominic Republic. In 2011, William's Cannon, an artifact from the shipwreck, was added to a permanent exhibit at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. William's legacy of being a pirate lives on mainly due to the belief that he had buried treasure. It is said that he had buried treasure on Gardner's Island, Block Island, Oak Island in Nova Scotia, Suffolk County, Long Island in New York, Charles Island in Milford, Connecticut, Thimble Islands in Connecticut, Cockanoe Islands in Westport, Connecticut, Grand Nam, a Canadian island in the Bay of Fundy, the Vietnamese islands of Phu Quoc, and on the Rawway River in New Jersey. Richard Coote found the treasure on Gardner's Island, supposedly, and he sent it to England as evidence in William's trial. Many have searched for these treasures. It was believed in May of 2015, silver from William's treasure was found in Madagascar. But in July of 2015, testing proved that it was just lead that came from a wreckage that had nothing to do with William. These are times that William has popped up in popular culture. In literature, Edgar Allan Poe used the legend of William's buried treasure in his story, The Gold Bug. Captain Kidd's Cat by Robert Lawson is about William's last voyage, trial, and execution. It is a children's book told in the point of view of William's ship's cat, and it paints William as innocent. And the manga titled One Piece by Eustace Kidd is about William. The films Captain Kidd, Avocado and Costello Meet Captain Kidd, and The Great Adventures of Captain Kidd are about William. 
William was a character in the miniseries Blackbeard, and on the show The Blacklist, William Kidd is used as an alias by the character Noah Robbins. The traditional folk song, The Ballad of Captain Kidd, is a song that was popular at the time of William's death. The heavy metal band Running Wild has a song called Ballad of William Kidd, and the Canadian band Great Big Sea has a song titled Captain Kidd. In the video game Persona 5, William is a persona of the party member Ryuji Sakamoto, and in the video game Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, the character Mary Reed poses as James Kidd, an illegitimate son of William, in order to start her career as a pirate. And that was the life of Captain William Kidd. Thank you so much for listening to the fifth episode of the third season of History Shelf. There are 15 episodes planned for this season. Next week's episode is going to be about Benjamin Hornigold. I hope you come back for that. A few things before we go. If you want to follow this podcast on social media, the TikTok is at History Shelf. The Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to continue to call it Twitter. The Twitter is at History Shelf Pod. The Instagram is at History underscore Shelf underscore Pod. And the Facebook page is History Shelf Podcast. If you want to help out this podcast financially, there are a few ways you can do that. One is you can buy merch from the History Shelf merch store. Or you can become a Patreon. This podcast is always going to be free, but there are some perks that come along with becoming a Patreon. The first tier is called History Student, and that is $1 a month. And with that, I will send out a thank you to you on all social media platforms that History Shelf is on. I will also choose one Patreon at random for each episode I do. And at the end of the episode, I will give that Patreon a shout out. The second tier is called history fan and that is three dollars a month and with that you get the first tier plus you get to vote in a poll that helps me choose the theme for the next season of this podcast the third tier is called history buff and that is twenty dollars a month and with that you get the first two tiers plus you will get a handwritten note of thanks mailed to you from me and the last tier is called history lover and that is forty dollars a month and with that you get the first three tiers Plus, you get to choose one item from the History Shop March store. You can choose any item except for the zip-up hoodie. That's the only item that's not available for the Patreon. You can also take out ad space on this podcast. I have a gig on Fiverr that lets you do that. There are also two affiliated links that you can click on. There's one for Riverside and there's one for Amazon. If you click on one of those links and you buy something, that also helps support the podcast. But... If you don't want any of the merch and you don't want any of the perks and you don't want to buy anything, but you still want to help support this podcast, I have turned on listener support on Spotify for podcasters and there are three tiers. There is a 99 cent a month, a 4.99 a month, and a 9.99 a month tier. The links to all of what I just mentioned will be in the episode description for this episode. But as always, the best way that you can support this podcast is to just to continue to listen to it. And there are a few other ways that you can help out for free. One is if you are listening on a platform that lets you rate this podcast five stars and or leave a positive review. If you do that, that would help out a great deal. Also, sharing this 
podcast on social media with your friends and family. That would also help out a great deal. One more thing before we go, I just wanted to remind you again that Stitcher is going to be no more come August 29th, 2023. And I know some of you listen to me on Stitcher, so you will soon have to find another platform to listen to me and your other podcasts on. All right. Well, until next time, keep learning, keep loving history, and come back for next week's episode.